0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life in Private Staffing. Hope you're all well and had a good couple of weeks. Um, we've got a bit of a special episode for you today. So today we're doing something a little bit different and we're hoping it comes across okay. We're hoping you understand uh, understand a lot of what we're talking about as we go through um, I'll tell you in advance, it may be easier to watch this on video if you're struggling with hearing, watch it on video because we've got a um, um, guest on today called Spencer Collins who is a Deaf candidate. He's a Deaf candidate who works in the private sector but his speech is absolutely incredible for a Deaf person. So, today we're doing an episode with Spencer telling us all about his journey and um, I think it's going to make for a really interesting episode. So just to give a little bit of background really. now. Diversity and inclusion is a really hot topic at the moment in many workplaces, but probably many workplaces apart from the private sector. I think that the private sector think that a lot of this stuff doesn't apply to them or doesn't apply to us, or how can it possibly work having a disabled person or a deaf person or a blind person work in a private household. And, you know, we're under the radar, there's no HR sort of systems in place so much. So we can, you know, it's something that we don't really have to think about and, I do think about it though and especially when you come across people like Spencer, he's really, really active on LinkedIn, that's how we know each other, and um, he spent 10 years working in the private sector as a house manager, so um, it just makes you think, doesn't it, that actually it is possible and we should be thinking about it and we should be encouraging it and we should be promoting diversity within our sector just as everybody else is in their sector. now, to give a bit more of background, so I actually, I'm quite familiar with the deaf community. So I, my mum and dad both worked at school, uh, school for the Deaf up in Doncaster. So I, from the age of four, really grew up within a deaf community. We have deaf friends around the house and kids from the school used to come. And, and you, know, the, 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 you know, the deaf community has been a big part of my... Personal family's life. So I'm very sort of comfortable around deaf people and um and very aware of how big the deaf community is. But I don't think a lot of people are. I think a lot of people would immediately think, oh no, I can't definitely con- I, I can't I definitely can't consider a candidate who can't hear. How is that possibly going to work? Um so I really wanted to bring the topic to light a little bit today and um, just give you all a bit of an insight really as to how it can work and how to be fair it's not even really the problem of the hearing person if if you you know it's not your problem as a recruiter or your problem as a PA thinking how's this going to work it's the problem of the deaf person as to how it's going to work and they've been deaf their whole life most of them so they know how it's going to work and if they've been doing it for 10 years they have their processes and have their procedures and they have systems that make it work for them so I think we need to sort of take away this sort of image in our head that oh, it def- I definitely can't introduce a deaf candidate to the principal or well, he's not going to get it and actually think, well, let's just talk to this candidate and understand more about their skill base and how they communicate and how it works. Because often it does work. And we're stupid to discount um, candidates like Spencer before even speaking with him. So, um really want to do our bit from Silver Swan's point of view, and from my point of view, um, to promote diversity and inclusion within the private sector and really try and bring it to light and um, bring some stories to you of people who are making a real success of it. And and also hats off to the employers that are giving these people a chance and benefiting from the skills these candidates are bringing to the role. Um as I say, Spencer is really active on LinkedIn. I've been talking to him loads. I was just intrigued by his story really way before we started thinking about the podcast. I've been talking with Spencer and we jumped on a call and um, he we use Google Meets. And when I talk, it comes out as it um, captions immediately for him. And so he can, uh, and he's really good at lip reading as well. So he can pretty much understand what I'm saying as I'm saying it. Um, and then when he responds, um, his speech is incredible. His mum put a lot of effort and time into his speech therapy as he grew up. And um, I'm, as I say, I've been around deaf people my whole life. And if you're born deaf, the very d- deaf people can be quite difficult to understand their speech, but Spencer, I assume Spencer went deaf later in life, his speech is that good, so I was like, you know what, your speech is really, really good, let's do a podcast, let's get you on, let's do a podcast, um, we'll provide captions, if um any of it's unclear, you know, watch it on video, watching a deaf person speak, you understand a lot more as well, Um, and let's use this as an opportunity to tell, you know, others his story as to how he makes it work for him what he faces on a day to day basis how you know what he's done with his career um you know and just like everybody else I got in the podcast he's had a successful career in the private sector so why shouldn't we celebrating be celebrating his story whilst us trying to learn something along the way so um yeah really keen to get into this one and i'm hopefully it um Provides a bit of an insight to to those that aren't familiar with the deaf community, and just opens our eyes a little bit. So. Um what we've done, we couldn't record on Google Meet. So what we've done is we've sort of like um, uh, Spencer's as, uh, Spencer's as, as, answered a load of questions, and I'm as, asking a load of questions. And then we're putting it all together. So I'm hoping it comes across really smooth for you and um, and makes sense. Um, and yeah, let's get straight into it. As I said, when I put this out, I'm going to be um, tagging Spencer in in all of this. So um, if everybody, you know, if you do. Um, want to talk to Spencer more or get to know a little bit more about him or if you've been affected by this or you want to consider hiring a deaf person, please do reach out to him like he's the most welcoming person and the most keen person to educate others as to his disability. So so let's get cracking. There's loads of things I want to be asking him. So let's get the ball rolling, Spencer. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what you were doing work-wise before you moved into the private sector?
1: I used to work with two major advertising agencies in London as an art director before I changed my career as a freelance with several companies.
0: So basically nothing to do with hospitality. I love it when uh, people do something completely separate to hospitality and step in. We obviously see quite a lot of military uh, personnel move into the private sector. And obviously you worked for... Um, major advertising agencies before moving into the private sector um, so I love that and it's actually really normal it's a really sort of normal way in people do generally fall into it um, often through sort of contacts but we'll go into a little bit later as to how you actually got into it so do you mind telling us a little bit more about your um, disability and when you went deaf and um, really why your speech is so good, I'm really sort of intrigued as to how you learn um, to speak so well for a deaf person.
1: I was born deaf. My mother did all the hard work by helping me, supporting me to improve my speech. When I was a child, I went to one of the top speech therapy schools. In the US, and there was John Craigie's speech therapy school. And John Craigie is Spencer Craigie, Hollywood film star. And he set up his own speech therapy school because of his experience when he was a child with Spencer Craigie.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've heard of uh, John Tracy speech therapy school before. So for those that don't know, uh, Spencer Tracy is a, uh, well, was, is a famous Hollywood um, film actor, had a son called John Tracy, who was born deaf, And yeah, John uh, Tracy set up the speech therapy school um, in order, because he personally wanted to learn how to speak like everybody else. So, um, oh, what an investment for your mum. Like, what a difference that must have made to your life to be sent over to the US at such a young age to learn um, how to speak. Because you you take for granted learning to speak. It's not just learning to speak the words. I think we take for granted how much hearing plays a role in speak. I can't even imagine like learning a different language having never heard it before. So um yeah that's that expensive thing. And as I say before, um I was saying earlier that I assumed you'd turn you you'd lost your hearing later in life because you could speak, you know, but um there we go, it just goes to show doesn't it? So I assume then therefore like major adjustments must have been made. You must have to make major adjustments, you know, on a day to day basis. Um, to manage your day work. So, um, how do you, so when you're at work, how do you generally communicate? Um, Because, you know, not many people can do sign language. Um, So what do you do to sort of communicate with people on a day-to-day basis?
1: It was a very tough journey to overcome the difficulty because of my deafness. I always take a notebook with me, so I can understand everybody. Today, we have this fabulous technology, so make life a lot easier for me.
0: Yeah, I assumed you probably embraced technology. Um, and to be fair, we all need it in our day-to-day life. Like, if you think about any of us doing our job, if someone took away our use of technology, we would all struggle, hearing aside or deafness aside, if someone took away technology. Because I can imagine people's first response to someone like Spencer is, well, yeah, you say you use technology, but if you haven't got Messenger or WhatsApp to message their head housekeeper about something, then what? But we would all struggle if we didn't have the use of technology in our day-to-day work. Um, and actually, if we probably think about it, there's probably, there's probably many days we at work or house managers at work can go through a day and not see many other staff and communicate purely on email or phone or whatsapp or whatever. Um, So I think we probably all use technology way more than we think we do. Um, So, you know, not surprising. I'm glad. I'm glad it's there. I'm glad it's evolved the way it has to really help people, people like you. So... So moving on there, so you started, you you obviously used to work in advertising. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've sort of seen your CV and i spoke to you before. And I know that you have then did a really good 10-year stint with one household as a house manager. So how did that role um, first come about? How did you get that position? How did you find out about it? How did you interview it? So, yeah, how did you get into the private sector?
1: I was extremely lucky. Because when my sister got married, she invited some of her old school friends to the wedding. At the wedding reception, um, one of the table, that one of her old school friends was the mother, a um, very well-known mother, and I approached her, we sat down and we talked for hours about her love and her children and we exchanged numbers uh, for me to keep in touch with the children, one of the children. And a few weeks later I was invited to play a game of tennis in a park place in London. Um, We played and he won. Then he invited me for a dinner at the Tower Bridge and we cooked for hours um, because of his biggest timetable, because of his work, um, he was looking for a house manager for his property. So I offered my executive while he was looking for a house manager, and um, because there's trust in the relationship. So he gave me the market key. So I could look out for his property to make sure the interior is clean, nice and tidy. I could the mayor, I cut the call, go and give him a bit of a peace of mind. Um, and then four weeks later, after he returned back from Europe, um, I had a, a message from my pager telling me that he would Actually if I can work as a health manager at a full time, i replies by back fact machine to say yes, I accept each other. That's how I got myself as a health manager. Oh, you've got to love a bit of luck, you know, I think all of
0: us at some point uh, in their career owes a little bit to Lady Luck. Um, It's also all about contacts. I think so many people have said before, if you didn't come through the usual hospitality route uh, and then transition to the private sector, it's generally through someone you know. um, And it's through someone you know. They know you. They know what you're capable of. Um, and they sort of bring you into the private sector. I love this a wedding as well. <laughs> wow It's amazing about contacts you can make at a wedding, providing you sat on a good table with good people and there's plenty of wine flowing um so it's two oddd really, yeah, it is good contacts, and it's you know it's great that they sort of saw something in you, and um you had that four week trial um while they were looking for somebody, which gave you the opportunity to prove yourself um and then you know earned the position, earned the offer. But also good for you for, you know, giving it a chance. You know, it's an industry that you didn't know much about. And, um, you know, it it took a lot of bravery. Again, completely deafness aside, I think, for many people who were in work doing something else, completely different sector, if they met somebody who said, do you want to come do this for me? And they've never heard of it or done it before. It's a bit of a bold step. So it takes courage on your side, as well as, you know, the opportunity being provided on their side, um, and yeah, just goes to show contacts I get asked all the time how to get into the sector, what do I do, how to get in and um, and I think it's a common response from a lot of people already in the sector is contacts contacts, network contacts, speak to people impress people, warm, you want people to warm to you you want people to like you make yourself available um, make yourself liked, people don't think that that's possible, you don't have to be somebody else but you can definitely make yourself liked um, and, um, yeah, put yourself out there really and take these chances. So absolutely good for you. Um, and it obviously sort of worked out well. And obviously we know, I know that we've spoke before and I know it worked particularly well because the principal wasn't necessarily a resident the whole time, but we get that a lot as well. But there's households out there where the principal and the family don't even use the house that much. So what does it matter if your house manager doesn't hear? Like... Ah, uh, yeah, it just starts to make things seem so obvious. Um, um, so you spent 10 years in this position um, as a sort of house manager. Tell us a bit more about what you were doing in the role.
1: On my birthday, I as a house manager, I was invited to, to meet um, an individual for breakfast at the Portland & Um When I got there, um the breakfast laid on the table was, uh, and last McDamond and um, Baker would uh, drive on there and um, we cooked everything, including more teachers about his property, about his staff, about his request and he also need to understand about my difficulty because of the telephone um because of the communication and he have had no problem with me, so it's a learning curve for me to understand how how monitor work
0: yeah, it's always going to be a learning curve, isn't it? I think for anyone that sort of first comes into the role. Um, but nice that he was able to sort of spend so much time with you at the beginning and sort of talk you through. Um, I know that we've talked previously, and um, I know that you know your your role was a very typical manager role, wasn't it? You were um, responsible for multiple members of staff, the housekeeping team. I know that you did quite a lot of driving for his son. Um, you organised many sort of dinner parties, uh, dinner parties and events um, on the premises. You would uh, do lots and lots of concierge. Um, I know you took care, took, uh, sorry, took care of um, his cars, his art collection. He had a wine collection that you managed. Um, he had a cigar collection. So, um, you know, obviously we've talked a little bit about your role before. And for those sort of listening, you, your role very much was a house manager role, very sort of typical. Um, the principal wasn't in residence the whole time, but there were other members of staff that you were responsible for. So, very sort of you know standard house manager role that you. Um, that you were just thrown in the deep end with really uh, and obviously managed it. So, um, what was it you enjoyed about this position?
1: What do I enjoy about this position is getting a lot of requests every single day from the demanding individual to help me to become more proactive with my job so I never I think I'm always on the go. Um and I'm like an octopus with too many things to do at one time. So that is what I enjoy the most.
0: Yeah, I reckon that's the most common answer I get when I ask people what is it you love about working as a house manager. I think majority of people say the variety and the pace. Um, no days the same there's a million things to do at any one time days fly by and um, you walk around the house at 10 in the morning and you don't get back to your office till five in the afternoon even though you were only meant to be doing a 20 minute whiz around so yeah um that's really I think that's a really sort of common theme um so what are some of the sort of challenges I know I was through some of the stuff that you did you know that you do in your role um can you tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you do in your role
1: my main challenge are uh, multiple requests from uh, an individual guest, family and clients. i organise um, a dinner party, fucking or private event either they property property or at the McInnesia Rictors, I uh, took care of all of these finance, um what the jewelry wardrobe took care of. He clap the cars, keep the cars, and I oversee his staff to control their responsibility and tasks And I oversee the properties including project management, to control that everything I get on the part from
0: the Busy, busy role then. Yeah, as I'm, I think I've tipped you to it a bit because I did run through some of these things early, didn't I? So, um, yeah, nice, busy, varied role. It's what we all sort of love about this industry, isn't it? That million things to be doing and such a variety of things to be doing. So you always did this role for 10 years then. Um, and what we haven't touched on is... Um, uh, yet is that obviously I know that you let you then left the private sector um you well not, not out of choice you were fr- frantically looking for something else um and you ended up uh you did you worked within with within Polo didn't you for a bit um and then you've worked in the hotel sector for ages so um just for everyone else's benefit he then works he's worked in five-star hotels and four-star hotels um working back of house and then being promoted through to front of house up to sort of head concierge in four and five-star hotels um, just goes to show it doesn't. He's not been held back, have you? He's have not been held back at all. So, um, so tell us a little bit about um, you know, leaving this position and what uh, what, what what happened next for you. How did you the, sort of get into the hotel sector following this ten-year house manager position?
1: After he sold the property, I moved overseas. I've applied to every agency in London and elsewhere as a health manager. But even though there are a lot of things to do for a health manager on the internet, but nothing happened. So, after several months later, I gave up. And I approached to my local and said they are going to work. And luckily, um, I happened to have a uh, connection with the Polo World so I managed to set my foot into the polo industry to work with the polo patrons and polo players and learn about their industry to transport from one place to another to so groom me, mucking out the stable, and to make sure that the horses have been up for one as part of their exercise and me saw the artisanal uh, crew. So, for a few months later, there was a, one of the polo matches going on uh part of this polo season. And I was driving along, and there was a match of billboards outside the property converted to a five star hotel. And I thought, took a minute, that could be the opportunity for me to break into the hotel industry for me to progress myself further because I've had no luck getting into the private household. So I applied, got the interview, got the job and a backup house room for two years and give me the perk of progression. And then um, I want to to put myself forward to work at the point of power. But again, it's very, very competitive. So uh, in the hospitality industry, it's very small. The same with the private sector, it's also very small. And I was lucky I was opposed by another factor, who hotel in Boston for a of health 20 what I really enjoy. And I applied, I went for an interview, and got the job for a short period of time. And I really enjoy it. It gave me the knowledge, the skills, and the experience. Um, and then from that point, and I worked with um, several uh, Private houses. Um, and then one of my family came to me there's a vacancy in one of the ministries newspaper. Um, they are looking for a uh, head concierge at the Full Star Hotel in Somerset. So I thought it's great work for me, but I'm not in the ministry. So I Dropping um an email to explain my, position, my, my experience working with the uh, heart manager for ten years, and luckily I been offered for an interview, and I met with the principal of the company, which is magnificent, and got the job. And it was one of the best um experiences I've ever come across because I met a lot of VIP, a lot of with, a lot of private clients. And I even organized a private helicopter from the hotel to Gatabu Bec for 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 their guests. And I was given a business card for me to be part of he private corporate concierge company in Oxfordshire, at the month. So that was a perk of opportunity. So that's the story of how I've become involved with the hospitality. Then I went off to work for a private uh, concierge company.
0: And what a testament to you as well to be headhunted like that in a role. So you're doing your role, you're head concierge, you've got an ultra high net worth, you've organised a helicopter and he gives you his business card. So again, to those people listening, like you just, well, not even, it's not, again, not even to do with deafness. I say this all the time, like it's so difficult to interview someone and assess them based on interview. I've always felt the interview process is quite flawed and I've always thought I'd be um, it'd be much better if I could just like go away for the weekend <laughs> with someone, um, and do something, do an activity, go out for dinner, have some drinks. I would then know by the end of that day, whether I want to hire them or not. It's so difficult in like a one hour interview, asking a few formal questions, like what that person's really like. Um, but you get someone in the role, um, and that's when you can sort of see, um, how they are and do well. And again, a testament to you, Spence, for, um, being headhunted to go work for a private corporate concierge company um from a client that came and stayed at the hotel. So great opportunity and again good for you for sort of taking it. Just another string to your bow, isn't it? So um so that's when you sort of left and you went um over. Um I know that you did then return and you've spent um uh the last sort of couple of years working for the DeVere group. Um I want to talk a little bit more about your communication then. So tell us a little bit more about how you generally sort of communicate with larger teams. Because obviously when you're in a private household, you're working with smaller teams. So you're more, you're more communicating on a one-on-one basis. But I know that when you've worked in hotels, you've managed like very large housekeeping teams and very large kitchen teams. Um, how do you, how, what, what method of communication do you use most when communicating with the larger teams?
1: Okay. I have been using LinkedIn Microsoft to keep keeping with my calling and and correcting because of the um the area I'm working the very rural place and it doesn't work for a good server because of the internet company be very poor, but um I was very grateful. The uh, they've allowed me because of my to engage with the larger group of people using their um, smartphone technology um, but I uh, usually use um could make the service but now everything's on Wi-Fi which is much easier, quicker and reliable.
0: Oh uh, yeah, good for you. To be fair, I think a lot of people um I think a lot of households struggle with signal anyway. So um for anyone that didn't understand that, he uses LinkedIn Messenger to speak to um his colleagues and his uh, employers is very rural where he works. So um with a diverg group, very rural, so the sort of signal drops in and out. So using things like WhatsApp and stuff, um and text messages often doesn't work. But LinkedIn Messenger and using Wi-Fi and using smartphones his employers um, haven't got a problem with staff having their phones on them if it means they can talk to Spencer. Um, I know that some hotels obviously are quite funny about having your phone on you. Um, But um, if they can ping, ping, ping on LinkedIn and get messages through via Wi-Fi, then again, perfect way. And it just goes to show again, doesn't it, like, it, of course you can communicate, like, um, and I can imagine big private households, even in London, struggle with signal issues. You've got housekeepers down in basements or uh, down in laundry rooms. You've got m- multiple floors over a big space. Um, signal, you can't, you often anyway, can't talk to your staff face to face in a property that's so big anyway. So I can imagine a lot of people communicate with their staff using their phone, even if they can hear. Um so again, just goes to show it's not the problem of the hearing person; they haven't got to figure it out. It's the problem of the deaf person, and you know you're, you know you know the best way to communicate with people, and you just implement it. So, um, makes perfect sense. So, you've obviously you've had a really successful career, and you've managed to do various different things and sort of move around a little bit. But have you felt that your disability has held you back when it comes to applying for roles? Um you know, sort of specific especially specific was in the private sector, have you felt held back by your disability at all?
1: Yes. The answer is yes, nothing new. And um, it's not just about my dip. it's everyone who goes through the same boat as me and I've applied. I got health manager one time, nothing happened, I've applied. To be a scale nothing happened. I've applied to work again. A thin manager, nothing happened. And uh, again, it, I can't. I can't think of a better word for this, bar. Nothing new. It's been go on for the last seventy, eighty years, and uh, sadly, and that is the reality of it.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about the actual interview process then. So, excuse my ignorance, but how does it actually work if somebody wants to interview you? Um, and that's probably what people are listening to now. How do you even get the ball rolling? How do you reach out? Obviously, email's fine, but you're going to have to have an interview at some point. So how is the interview process, um, how does that work for you? What's the, best, what's the best way for that to be managed?
1: If I've been invited for a telephone interview, I always reply to find out if I can have a video call interview or a correspondence by email. If I get the response back from the same person wanting to speak to me on the telephone first, then they should know about the Equality Act 2010. Doesn't matter what grade they've got, doesn't matter what a degree they have, whether it's from a CRPC or RIC, they should be making aware that they have to make an reasonable endorsement if a person requests anything, whether it's a video call or correspondence by email. Because if I put out, OK, I am deaf, does matter what position I'm applying for, whether it's a house manager, PA, Event manager, say or his car, they see the word death. It's so from the other end. Thinking, oh, death, he cannot cook, He cannot hear. He's all about attitudes. And um, this perkin cannot judge a get person by cover. So again, I've had been through a lot of time for the past twenty thirty 30 years. And now this has to stop because diversity and inclusion is a hot topic at the moment, and we are going through a massive change.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself. Diversity inclusion is a hot topic right now, and you're right. The Equality Act is in place to protect sort of people like you. And and also, actually, no, I think people are going to come out of this COVID, this COVID pandemic working in a way that's really going to sort of help you anyway because I think so many people are now embracing use of video when it comes to interview first stage, first stage second stage then go meet the principal in person so that's perfect for you you don't need to be having phone interviews and uh, and all the rest so um I agree with you I think that if um if you're invited to interview, a video interview is often a first stage interview now anyway. And if it's not, and they want to talk to you on the phone, they won't do a video interview. Then, like you say, it's not a fair way of being treated, really. Um, we spoke before on video, you and me, and I can. We we speak real time. There's no delay. I understand you perfectly. You understand me perfectly. You can definitely have a very normal interview with you on a Zoom, uh, on a Google Meet, as long as you're using a video platform where the subtitles are provided for you. And then when you go meet a principal in person, you know, once you're in person, you know, you're it's absolutely fine um, to manage the interview process because things can be written down, you can then speak back, et cetera. So um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think we need to make sort of considerations like this. And as, as I said before, I think actually, you know, video is used so much more now anyway it's so much more normal to be using video so i'm hoping that that sort of barrier even just getting through to interview stage is lowered a little bit for you um, as we come out of this pandemic so um so Moving on a little bit then. So you've been working in hotels for a while now. I know that you work for the Devere Group at the moment um, in a leadership position. And I know that you've been on furloughs. It's obviously great that the scheme has been there to sort of look after you. Um, Obviously, through our conversations, whilst I know you've enjoyed the hotel industry and and I know that you're very grateful for the furlough scheme you've been on. I'm also very aware that you are at this stage very keen to work back and move back into the private sector. So why is that? Why now are you wanting to move back into the private sector? What is it that you've you know missed?
1: I missed the job title. Because when I was working as a health manager, I had something I could be proud of. And I was working extremely long hours, but the salary was far greater than I expected. And I also um, enjoyed the closure with the individual who oversees his property, his staff, and his request—that That is what I miss the most. Whereas well, the hotel industry is totally opposite. That's fair enough, isn't it? I think, especially, you know, you've done your 10 years in
0: the private sector. You've, done, you've been out of the private sector, you know, for a number of years now. Um, I think it's quite normal to have gone and gained your experience as well. they've sort of come back. So what is it in particular, to anyone listening that might be recruiting, what in particular is it looking for? What role are you wanting to go back to a house manager position? Or is there another position in the private sector that you are also uh, looking at right now?
1: I do not really that I want to become a personal assistant because I have got a lot of experience in my time in the past working with the private sector and also working for the hospitality industry and I probably feel that I would like to have some kind of closure with the individual and get the request of the name from someone but I, although I would like to go back and do a health monitor, but I personally fear that I could step on board to allow my to work on it in order for me to become a Chief of Staff. I mean, the Chief of Staff who needed to have someone with more than twenty five or thirty odd years with a private car call well I haven't. So I would like to uh protect myself to that level as a PA or the CEO or the director or a principal and that would be some kind of a dream.
0: So if anyone's looking for a private PA, there we are. And um, I think it's really transferable house manager I think a house manager often has a lot of PA duties and a PA depending on the size of the house, depending on how the family is structured, can be doing some house management stuff as well. So I think that's a really sort of natural, normal sort of sidestep. So um, good for you. Yeah. Anyone sort of looking for a house manager, especially with PA duties or a private PA um, and you'd consider a candidate like Spencer, please do reach out. So, okay, so just sort of wrap up then. So um, obviously we've been through a pandemic um, we've talked a lot about between you and me about sort of how the pandemic's affected you. And actually I know I know I'll let you explain in a minute, but I know that um it's not actually affected you massively at all. Obviously from a work point of view, you've been furloughed and at home. But um I suppose from a hearing point of view, you've been cut off the world cut off from the world um in terms of hearing communication for your whole life anyway. So I suppose it's given us all a glimpse into your life, really, N- you know, not having the noise all around us and being in the big bustling sort of scenes all the time. So, how has COVID affected you over the last twelve months? And sort of, what have you done to keep busy? You're looking forward to getting to work, etc.
1: Coronavirus hasn't affected me at all. Why? Because I have been living in a silent world for a very long time, because of my death. And I have lived without sound around me. Although I'm very heavy, but it doesn't mean I can hear everything. I can hear something the all. And I have to learn to keep myself positive all the time. that's why I always work. Whether it's a volunteer, or doing some gardening work, or helping friends or family, it's all work, work, work. You're working with your job to so you make sure you're, you're on top of everything. So what I've been doing is I have completed my diabetic inclusion with the Sheer Network, and i parked with the Flyer colour, which I'm very proud of, and I've also support and help um, uh, an entrepreneur from Sri Lanka with his startup company from day one. And now he's doing extremely well and he's getting himself heard across the globe. And he's tried to get capital for his company, which I cannot wait to hear. Something very exciting for him, which I'm very proud of. Um, I'm actually a rep for the local truck in Hampshire to support disabled carers and patrons to make sure they have the right needs, the right support when they go to the hospital. Again, it's something for me to understand the social care on a volunteer basis. And I'm also doing a financial crime risk course uh, with the cannot compliance education because I have been doing a verification specialist during my time of uh, for five years and uh something I'm very enthusiastic about it. So maybe I could be a compliance um officer uh, because there's a lot of money locally going on around the world. So again um I never stop working. I enjoy what I'm doing. And and I'm doing some gardening. So again, it's part of my well-being, so I need to make sure that I keep the garden nice and clean and tidy. It's all about hygiene, it's all about uh, making it look nice for the summer. So I'm very proud of myself and I have something positive ahead of me. Talk about keeping busy. What a variety of stuff you've been doing.
0: Um, gardening, good for you. We've been trying to get our garden sort, to be honest, because now the weather's nice. Um, lots of gardening, good for the soul. Um, but also done some other really cool stuff. Working as the volunteer with the um startup company in Sri Lanka with your friend. That's ace that that's done so well. Um and really great that, that you know your friends had you there to help with. Um for anyone that didn't understand the peer pressure group um that you worked. That you've been working with in Hampshire um that's the cool thing to have done Um, love that you've done the diversity and inclusion course um love that you're also doing the financial crime risk course like what a mixed bag of you know training and uh you know home stuff as well so um sounds like you've managed to keep yourself in a really sort of positive um mental health state which is obviously really lovely to hear and I'm hearing that quite a lot especially coming out of the pandemic now I think a lot of people are especially the last few weeks knowing the ends in sight have been feeling a lot more positive about things and actually um using the time wisely honestly I can imagine give it a year or two I can imagine myself saying oh I'd love another lockdown for a month think of what I could get done so trying to make them mo- I know it's been a very difficult time but trying to make the most of these last few weeks um to get done we're not going to get this opportunity again so good for you for keeping so busy um so so what does the future hold for you then so where what's your sort of like plan five ten years where you want to be what you want to be doing
1: at the moment nobody knows what to happen in five or ten year time however however i have um a core vision of what I want to be, because I'm doing my course with International Compliance Association. But again, um, I want to double check that there is a need for this specific core that I'm doing. For the private sector, I know there will be more, more, more jobs in the next three, four, five months' time. Uh, now, family, carnage kind of with alcohol, network. Kind of I need more people for housekeeping, trip, butler, safe fire and many, many more. But um, I would like to set my foot as a personal addiction because it's more about a closer, more to the individual And I have got the knowledge skills and experience when I was working for the private sector and the hotel uh, industry. So, how manager is something I enjoy, but I rather want to do personal addiction. And I also like to look into scale um because it's like a combination of one. Um, so if you're actually recruiting for the household or you actually looking at the sales, it doesn't matter if it's a cost or, um, uh, probably self-property or take it and It's all about a into one. So, yeah, that me. Okay, cool. Good for you. Um, so, well, I need to wrap this up really, but,
0: um, you know, just before we finish, Um, I find this super interesting. It just goes to show that it's not that big of a deal. It can work really well. And I hope that other people have, you know, felt that this insight has been quite useful. Um, and it's not even, I don't even want to patronise you. Deafness aside, you've had a really successful career in the private sector. We should be celebrating that and sharing your story. But the fact that you've done that all deaf, um, it just makes me feel like an idiot for moaning about stupid little things in my life. Um, And, you know, we all people let things hold them back all the time, blame things or, you know, have excuses for why they've not done stuff. And you hear your story and it just sort of is embarrassing, really, isn't it? That like some of the excuses that we've used to not do things or some of the excuses we've had for not succeeding in certain areas. um, We need to go over it, really, and just appreciate that other people have much bigger obstacles than we do. Um, so, thank you very much for sort of joining us and sharing that with us. So, just to finish, do you have any parting words to anyone that might be listening who is potentially looking for a new member of staff and haven't considered a deaf person or wouldn't consider a deaf person? Is there any sort of final parting words that you'd like to say before we wrap up?
1: That is a brilliant question. Number one, attitude is everything. Number two, ghost, John, a Get person by cover. Number three, ghost, assume you know a lot about a get person. Number four, everyone, everyone is different. And number five, please, please, please be aware of the Equality Act. 2010 Laura. There are plenty of support from the Department of Work of Pension to Kapoor people like me at the workplace. Thank you.
0: Well there we go. Wrapped it up perfectly. Um, so I hope you've all enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much Spencer for coming on and sharing your story with us. I hope that Um, That was easy to understand for everybody. I hope that it was all clear. As I say, go and watch it on YouTube with the captions um, if there's any parts of it that weren't clear. Please do feel free to reach out to Spencer. As I say, we're gonna, as we do everybody, we'll tag uh, him in all of our posts. So any questions you've got, do reach out. And I suppose the sort of takeaway from this is, let's sort of, you know, all open our eyes a little bit to how much more inclusive we could be as an industry, than we currently are. Um, I certainly was, even though I grew up in the deaf community and I'm very familiar with deaf, with you know, with just deaf people in general. Um, I think before talking to Spencer, I was probably fairly ignorant as to um, how a deaf person would work in, a, in the private sector, but. Um, I've learned a lot, and um, definitely I'm going to view candidates like Spencer very differently moving forward. Um, Please do feedback your thoughts on this episode, everybody. If anyone's in a position to help Spencer get back into the private sector, I have a position for him, um, then again, you can sort of reach out to me, uh, reach out to him. But other than that, I hope you've all enjoyed it. I'll see you all back here in a couple of weeks for our next episode. Um, If you want to get in touch with me, you can message me on LinkedIn. You can email me at Philippa at com. Uh, And then finally, as always, if we can help you find a job or help you find staff, please come and visit us at our agency, Silverswan Recruitment. And I'll see See you all in a couple of weeks. Thanks everybody!